You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. have that perfect union in the physical realm of their sexuality and also can they have that and have the oneness apart from communication with one another if they don't have a communication, verbal communication. Can they have a complete oneness, the question is. No. No. Why is that? Because it's incomplete. Okay. Okay. That sort of sums it up. You cannot have a perfect, complete union apart from good communication. Um, scripture says in 1 Corinthians 2.11, For who among you, or who among men, knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man. And then in Proverbs 23, 7, it says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So how are we to know and learn to understand who a person is without good communication? Well, there's a certain amount you can learn about an individual, certainly by observation, right? I mean, if you live with somebody... You have a certain ability to learn their habits. You learn a little bit about them. But without good, intimate, and clear communication, that relationship is limited. I can't really know my wife, and I can't re- she can't really know me unless we're open with one another. We can live together. We can do things together. We can have that physical union together. But without communication, you do not have the relationship that God intends. Let's put it in this way. As we come to know Christ, how are we to know God in a deeper way? Reading his word. Prayer. Okay. There's two good ones right there. What are we doing? What is that uh, doing in essence? When you say reading his word, if God didn't reveal himself through his word and we didn't have his word and we didn't have the illumination of a spirit, we would have a very limited understanding of who God was. I mean, we have the natural revelation, God's creation who reveals himself. But as his believers, he's given us his word to reveal himself and so that we can have a deeper communion with him. So as we consider that, God understood that man needed to have that deeper communion through the means of communication. So how do we communicate with one another? Well, Scripture is replete 
with all kinds of principles and precepts as to how man is to communicate with man. I'm using man in a generic sense here. As we think about um, communication just on the level of our society, we communicate through reading, we communicate through conversation. If we go to a foreign country, many of you uh, have been abroad, some as missionaries. If you go into another country where there's a different language, you have a real barrier to some extent. You can observe their culture and see some of their practices, but you're really limited with the lack of communication. So as we think about communication, it is the essential and one of the biggest essentials in marriage. Sometimes, uh, and I use this in a generic sense, sometimes counselors, um, and I took this from one of the counseling um, books that I read in regards to communication, counselors often come across a scenario like this. Let's say we have Mary and John, and they came in. Finally, they reached a point in their marriage. They go to the pastor and want to sit down and try to work some kind of resolve and to try to work on their marriage. And you have this couple there with the pastor, and one couple, one of the couple, the husband's looking one way and the wife's looking the other way. Pastor's trying to engage them in conversation. And finally, the pastor said, well, look, can you tell me what's going on? So he looks at the wife first and says, well, can you tell me what's going on? And the wife begins to communicate what her husband has been doing. Now, they haven't said anything to each other about these issues until now. And then all of a sudden, the husband says, I didn't know I was doing that. I mean, you never told me that. And pretty soon, I didn't know you felt that way. You've never communicated that to me. So that goes on for a period of time. And then the pastor looks at the husband and says, so what is your perspective here of your marriage? And pretty soon he opens up. And the wife looks at him and said, you never told me that. And so all of a sudden, there's a communication barrier that sort of drops because there's a safe place to dialogue and to be able to communicate. And all of a sudden, the husband and wife are realizing that they had these difficulties with one another. They had problems and they had things that the other was doing or saying that bothered them, but they never communicated. So as we consider this, You have to understand there are principles in the realm of communication. Sometimes conflicts arise. Um, Well, it's inevitable. Conflicts do arise, whether it be strife in the church or division in the church or whether it be difficulty at work. You're having communication breakdown and all of a sudden there's barriers there. Paul had the same problem in Corinth. When he left, before he wrote uh, 2 Corinthians, they were uh, they were mocking Paul. 
they were making in front of them. And so Paul basically communicated back to the Corinthians, which was one of many messages in Second Corinthians, and he told them, he said, you know, there's nothing that I did except love you. My heart was open to you. Well, they had closed their heart to Paul for some reason, and because of the bad reports that were going around, there was no communication between Paul and the church at Corinth to clarify some of these false rumors that they had spread. So it had to be that Paul addressed them to try to bring them to the understanding that he truly loved them, them with his heart. His heart was open to them. When we shut down and we don't communicate with somebody, there's all kinds of dynamics that go on. And that's what I want to examine today is maybe a few beginning principles of some of the biblical ways that we can communicate and do so for the profit of the relationship. Let's turn, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. And to begin with, we'll start with verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Now, Paul was trying to identify the various gifts in the preceding portion of that. And he was explaining how God had given the church some apostles, some prophets, evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for doing the work of the ministry. And then he went on to say so they they could become perfected, so they reached the full stature of Christ. The element of teaching is to exhort and to encourage and sometimes reprove to bring us into a deeper relationship with the Lord. And as a result of that, we have a deeper relationship with one another. So let's take a scenario, if we would, where a husband and wife are in conflict, or let's just say we have a conflict with a brother or sister. Let's go down to, in in chapter 4, beginning with verse 25. And Paul here, he's... uh, already given in the first three chapters our position in Christ and what we should, as a result of that, be doing. And then he focuses in on the application of these truths and how we should then live and what the Christian walk should be. So beginning with verse 25, he says this, Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So a principle of communication, one of the first principles would be that of truth. Um, Oftentimes people are a little bit hesitant to say something for fear of hurting the other individual, and that's good if we exercise that caution. We want to be careful uh, as we do speak truth, and especially when there's a conflict, that we do so in love. 
not for the purpose of tearing down, but for the purpose of building up. But we must do so with honesty. Um, one of the uh, counseling classes that uh, some of our women went to, there was an illustration given by uh, one of the speakers there, and he was talking about a man who went in for a diagnosis, and he went to talk to a psychiatrist, and finally said, well, what is it, doc? What, what do you think's going on here? And he said, well, I think you're just crazy. And the guy looked at him, he goes, what? You think what? And he said, I think you're crazy. And he said, you know, that's that's horrible for you to talk to me like that. He said, I'm going to go get a second opinion. He said, okay, you're overweight too. So, you know, we can speak truth, and yet to do so, sometimes we can do so with the intention of hurting. And Proverbs says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. We we can either speak to edify and build up, as we're going to look at in Ephesians, or when we speak, because of our hurt, we can project that in a way, speaking the truth, in a way that would tear down rather than to build up. <clears throat> as we talk with somebody, um, we have to think about what our words do. In James, in chapter 3, it says, uh, we all stumble in many ways. And if we don't stumble with what we say or with our tongue, then we're able to exercise control over our whole body. So what we say and how we say it, there's a lot that God gives us in his word. Some of the things that we consider about honesty, uh, Proverbs tells us to um, speak the truth in love. Here in Ephesians, we just read that passage. As we think about how we project something, and when we're communicating with a person, if we're in a conflict with somebody, much is going to come out by how we look, what our body language is, we can be angry at somebody and all of a sudden, you know, we're confronting them rather than waiting. Last week, Ron brought up a good point. Timing is really essential. If we've had a conflict, rather than burying it and becoming silent, we want to speak the truth in love and try to resolve the conflict, not become silent. But you don't want to do so in the midst of somebody's anger because that's not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to bring about reason and resolve and you certainly want to do so in the spirit. And everything that we do as we looked at in Ephesians is based upon our relationship with how we are in Christ. Are we walking in the spirit? When we talk about resolving a conflict, oftentimes you think of, okay, well, you could do this step and this step and this step. The principles of working through resolve is based on our relationship with the Lord. If we're humbling ourselves before the Lord and acknowledging what we need to acknowledge in our own lives, we got to be careful because 
there's a fine line, one of judging somebody else when that is in a condemning way, and that of discerning what the other individual is doing. Sometimes, as we look at uh, Scripture, we're to um, not do anything that would stumble a weaker brother. So, in the context of Romans 14, um, Paul used the illustration of, you know, one could eat meat because he's a believer and he recognizes that um, in that society, in that culture, oftentimes the sacrifices that were offered at the temple, they had meat left over and they would sell that meat. Or there would be uh, sacrifices offered to idols in the unbelieving community. And some believers could buy that extra meat and do so very reasonably. And so Christians were getting into conflicts because they say, well, how could you buy anything that was offered to an idol? Well, they were mature enough to recognize that it had nothing to do with their relationship with the Lord. So Paul was telling them it's better to, uh, if, if they're weaker, just not to eat the meat. It's better not to do something. So as we're approaching this element of communication, we have to understand, first of all, where are we at with this uh, relationship? If we're talking about a conflict between a husband and wife, how do we communicate when there's something that we need to discuss when you know that what you're going to say is going to bring uh, the other person to either Anger or frustration or hurt? How would you approach that? Speaking the truth in love is, is something we can only do if we care enough about the other individual. If we love that person, then what we're doing is trying to hurt, help that person and not say or do anything that would tear them down. Paul goes on to say, um, in verse 29, let no unwholesome or corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Well, here's another aspect of communication or trying to bring about a resolve and a conflict. We don't uh, approach it as if we're trying to just get things, you know, we're sick of what this person did or we were angry at this person for what they did. You can express that in love. You can express yourself in love, but do so recognizing that you're not going to want to tear that individual down. You want to build them up. Debbie, go ahead. Get my thoughts all together before we're like back and forth or misunderstanding each other. Give him time. And that's what I've learned. 
Okay, here's an example that Debbie gave that in some relationships, and I think this is um, something for that men need to reflect on sometimes. I can't respond quickly. I've got to process things. And for me to have a whole myriad of, say, be confronted with something at, all at once, I've got to process all that. I can't respond back as quickly as I would like to. Some people are quick thinkers and they can respond. What Debbie was saying that oftentimes it helps to write something down to communicate what your thoughts are and allow the other person to be able to digest that and then to be able to dialogue and try to bring about a resolve. And that's what works in that relationship. What we have to do, an important aspect of that, excuse me, is that we have thought through what we're going to say, thought through the whole essence of the offense, thought through the essence of our forgiveness, being able to forgive that individual and also approach that individual in a loving manner. Um, Proverbs, I think it's 18.3, it speaks about, It's a warning against uh, those who speak without hearing the other individual. And if we speak to somebody and not know what they're thinking or know the reason they may have done something, uh, Proverbs tells us that we're fools. I'll quote the text from you. It's in uh, Proverbs 18. You don't have to turn there. But he who answers a matter before he hears it, It is folly and shame unto him. Oftentimes, there's misunderstandings that just could could be clarified just through good communications. Ron. Um, One time, Bonnie and I were fighting over something. I can't remember what exactly it was. Uh, On our way to church, obviously. So, uh, the uh, guy was in the parking lot, but the assistant pastor was in the parking lot when he got there. So, we were both really anxious to lay out our, our side of the story for him to decide which one of us is right. And he politely listened, and then he said, now, who's winning in this? He didn't, he didn't say either one of us is right. And it's like, well, if we really want to know who's winning in this situation, Satan wins. Mm. And when we heard that, it was like, well, duh. <laughs> yeah. That's true. And so a lot of these conflicts, if we put them in that light, Conflict goes away because we want to be together when we face Yeah. Good point. <clears throat> Oftentimes, and uh, this happens quite frequently, I would say, uh, on the way to fellowship. <laughs> Everyone's in a rush to get ready to go. You forget something. Oh, we got a potluck. We forgot the salad. So all of a sudden, you're in a rush or you forget something. You get in trouble. Uh, you know, by saying something inappropriately, and by the time you get to the parking lot, you're both sitting there, um, <clears throat> let's say, not in the spirit of love. And we have to recognize how the enemy just feeds that. We have to understand that we are in spiritual warfare. But we also have to understand sometimes how selfish we are in our own uh, flesh. If we don't recognize that of the sinfulness of our flesh, 
we can make demands upon somebody that aren't even reasonable, rather than humbling ourselves and thinking as that other individual in Philippians 2 as more important than ourself. We want to make demands on them to please us. And that can be in a husband and wife relationship, that can be in a working relationship, or any any relationship at all. Whenever we put ourselves over and our needs over somebody else's, then we're already putting our setting ourselves up for some kind of contention. So we have to recognize that uh, the enemy will feed that and wants to destroy, wants to destroy relationships, and he wants to uh, break down the family. He wants to turn us against the Lord. His ultimate hatred is for God. So as we think about being honest and speaking the truth in love, one of the things we can do is ask good questions. If we see that an individual is upset, whether it be our spouse, friend, brother, sister, we can simply ask them. Um, Ask good questions. Is there something bothering you? Um, If they don't answer... Just say, you know, I, if there's something, you know, try to probe enough to where you get information. Here's where communication breaks down in, in a marriage relationship. Sometimes husbands have, I'll use myself. No, I don't want to use myself. Um, I'll use some of you guys. Uh, sometimes a man clams up if he's upset about something. And rather than communicating, you know, the wife is left without knowing anything and not understanding. And that becomes a conflict. So pretty soon, neither the husband or wife is speaking to one another, and you don't even know why. Well, the husband may have asked the wife to do something. She, you know, in all her work and busyness, overlooked that, and the husband's really upset about it. So... He may say something to the effect, I thought I'd asked you to do this. And the wife says, oh, I forgot to do that. I'm sorry. And all of a sudden, he just clams up. Why did he clam up? Because, well, that was really important to the husband. I'm using myself right now. Um, he needed such and such a part for whatever And the wife was in town. She had to do the shopping. She had to go to the doctor. She had to take the kids somewhere. And for some reason, she didn't see that part of the list or lost that part of the list. So all of a sudden, you have this breakdown. And the husband's not speaking now to the wife because he's upset. He's offended. This is just a kind of a meager illustration. You amplify that when you think about the breakdown that goes on for days, weeks, months, and years. Sometimes people just shut down, and all of a sudden there's a break in their relationship that they don't even know where the source was. Why? No communication. You have to be able to be honest. You have to be able to ask questions. And you have to be loving enough 
to listen to the individual so that they can express what the conflict is or what the offense is. If there is an offense, we're commanded by God to clear that up. We have Matthew 5. If you go to the altar and there remember a brother who has an offense, leave your sacrifice, get up, and first be reconciled to your brother. Matthew 18, if anyone is in a sin, you go to them privately. They don't listen. You take somebody else with them. They don't listen. You take it to the church. So God gives us process when there's breakdown in the relationship or there's a person who is refusing to come to the right place of reconciling a relationship. Think about the essence of building the other individual up. Um, some people, there's been some families or relationships uh, that have been estranged for years. I have uh, extended family that I know of that they can, when you get together at a family gathering, they'll bring up something that happened with my Uncle Al 50 years ago. My Uncle Al's been dead and buried for 25 years. And yet they remember these things. And they bring up an offense that they had that they never had the ability to clear up. They still carry that. Well, the author of Hebrews tells us to see to it that we don't fall short of the grace of God and that by it have a seed of bitterness. And through that, many are defiled. When people don't resolve conflicts in a relationship and you break that down without having a biblical resolve, you could have a seed of bitterness. And by it, defile many. Have you ever, well, I shouldn't say have you ever, we've all seen in church scenarios where there's a faction or there's a conflict and it isn't handled biblically. And the next thing you know, one party or the other party leaves and then they go around and they're defiling. And they're not willing to resolve or reconcile. Why? Because there was no forgiveness. There was no proper working through uh, for a resolution. They didn't carry out the biblical process and think of each other and love each other enough to do so. So instead, they leave, they break fellowship, and they go and they defile many. <clears throat> Can two walk together except they be agreed? Scripture says. Wherever you see two people uh, who are continually walking together, that is, in a relationship, and conducting their lives uh, with the same standard, enjoying the same fellowship together, being uh, sure and making every effort to be in agreement, you can be assured that they have good communication with one another. Where that breaks down is when you're unable or even, in some cases, uh, a member, a lot of times a wife is quenched by a husband. Uh, there's one scenario given in this 
uh, one counseling um, illustration in which a husband and wife came in and sat down and the wife was looking at the floor and didn't speak. And the, the counselor pastor uh, said, um, can you let me know what's the problem here? And the woman began to tear up and she said, I can't talk about it. And he said, well, this is the place to try to work through that. And pretty soon she began to cry and then began to express that any time she tried to express herself, her husband would get mad, defensive, and he would start yelling at her. And about that time, the other the husband stood up and started walking in circles and yelling. So he had a vivid illustration of what what this woman had been going through. So oftentimes, a person is quenched to where they won't communicate. Now, that's an extreme situation and certainly not one that would evidence a person uh, that's a Christian in right fellowship with God. So we have to recognize that when a person's in the flesh, they tear down any kind of potential for building the right relationship through good communication. To a large extent, married couples can experience uh, genuine oneness by how healthy their communication is. If their relationship is good in a good communication, their physical intimacy will be good as well. And just the opposite of that, if there is a breakdown in the communication or the relationship with a husband and wife. It all comes together. And when we talk about the original design for marriage, for man and woman to become one flesh, that one flesh in that physical unity has a great deal of bearing on the uh, communication that a husband has with his wife. The relationship is built on good communication and speaking to one another in love. As we um, look at the various principles for uh, communication, honesty is one. Another one is in this text in Ephesians is that of keeping current. Resolve your conflict, if there is one, as soon as possible. You don't want to put it off. And uh, Paul puts it this way. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ forgave you. Prior to that, we look at where Paul says, let no uh, corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but what is good and necessary for the edification. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. As we think about um, dealing with something right away, we don't want to allow anger or frustration um, to build up in a relationship. 
earlier on in this text, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. The thought there is is to try to be able to work through something so it doesn't... Righteous anger is good, but how many have really truly exercised righteous anger? Well, we had a good example of the Lord exercising that two weeks ago in the book of John. But oftentimes, the anger of a man or the wrath of a man is something that is just out of selfish desire. So we have to recognize and identify that when we're upset about something or we become angered about something, we have to examine what is it that caused that anger. Ron? What would be an example of righteous anger in a Um, I'm not good at giving one off the top of my head, but let's just say uh, husband and wife, uh, let's just say in contemporary times, let's talk about the husband who perhaps uh, came across some inappropriate material on a, on his computer and then was indulging at that, looking at it. There would be a case where the wife could exercise righteous anger and would be very appropriate. And so, and it would be good for her to address it, to confront it, and for them to both work through that. So that, that, does that seem, so as we consider um, our anger, most of the time when you look at it in a, a relationship, even in a church friendship or relationship. Oftentimes the anger is just because somebody is disgruntled because they didn't get their own way. James talks about that. What's the source of your quarrels? So basically it comes down to if the other person is sinning, there could be some righteous anger if it's just by birth or dinner. Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you don't want to over a burnt dinner, that's not a a reason for anger. You can be frustrated, but not angry. That's just an inconvenience. So as we consider the reality of the relationship, uh we want to deal with things in a timely manner. You don't want to put something off. If you have a conflict with your spouse, or if you have a conflict with somebody else, if I have a conflict with an individual, I really I can't even uh, think about going to bed. I want to resolve it. So I do everything I can. If I have to drive somewhere, go somewhere, talk to somebody, I will do so. Well, we should have that sense of urgency, especially in the home. You don't want to let something build up, build up, and build up. You have to work through it. And that's an act of love as well. You care enough about your relationship with each other and your relationship with the Lord to want to be able to resolve things biblically. So keeping current with our relationship, just as we should be keeping current with our account of sin before the Lord, the same way we should make sure that there's nothing, that there's a cause of an offense that's not dealt with, in a proper way 
in a timely manner. Don't let it go. Matthew 6, the Lord says, each day has enough trouble of its own. We don't want to allow a problem to linger. We want to deal with it and resolve it the best as, as much as we're able to do so. Again, when we don't resolve it, then there can be a seed of bitterness developed. If there's any unforgiveness, when a person cannot forgive as God's commanded us to, and that builds into uh, an offense, and that offense isn't dealt with, that can cause a root of bitterness. And from that, many can be defiled. You can break down an entire relationship in the family by not having biblical response to a circumstance and communicating the way God's called us to. Um, Our attitude, uh, again, talking about the timing, we, when we're trying to resolve something, we want to do so quickly, but at the same time, allow the person to settle down and then go to that individual. That would give you opportunity to pray for that individual and for yourself to be able to forgive, to be able to go to that person in love. And Proverbs also says, a soft answer turneth away wrath. I remember one morning um, when Brian, our, our son, was small, and we were, uh, I was taking him. He was going to a Christian school, and I was driving down our road, and uh, the man down at the end of the road, we had formed some kind of a road committee where we all participated in maintaining the road, well, except for that one man that lived down the end of the road. He didn't want to participate in it. So the grader had come through and somehow cut part of his ditch in a way that it shouldn't have been done. And by the time I was approaching the end of the road, this man was out in the front and he just beat red. And um, my son looked at me and goes, what's the matter with Mr. So-and-so? And I said, I don't know. Rolled down your, or I rolled down my window and I said, good morning, sir. And he goes, don't you, sir, me. And then he just began to lamb blast me and say that you had no right to do this or this. And I, I didn't even have any idea what had happened. I didn't instruct the grader. I didn't have anything, really any knowledge. All I did was pay my fee for the, for the uh, road work. Anyway, he expressed his anger and not so pleasant a manner. And I just got through reading, by the way, that proverb. Soft answer turneth away wrath. And I managed to be able to appropriate God's grace to say, you know, I'm sorry this happened. I wasn't aware of it, but I'll make sure that I talk to the guy that's involved with directing the road grader and we'll have it repaired Whatever it costs, we'll take care of it, and we'll do it right away. And it defused him. I mean, he kind of sat there, and all of a sudden his face wasn't red anymore, and he goes, okay. He turned around and walked away. And my son looked at me and goes, that was really weird, Dad. And I said, "Uh, well, soft answer turneth away wrath, son. And we just drove on. But it was a good empirical example for not only myself, but for my son, that 
you know, if we, uh, a harsh word will stir up anger. If I would have got defensive and said, look, I didn't have anything to do with that and would have defended myself in a way that expressed anger, that would have escalated way beyond. So we have to recognize when a person's hurt and there's a poor communication, sometimes all it takes is clear communication. And rather than let it go, to be able to prayerfully approach that individual and say, you know, I don't know what it is, but did I do anything? Or, you know, be able to humble yourself enough to where you are willing to listen without being defensive. If we can learn to be good listeners, slow, to, quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger, we've gone a long way in the avenue of communication. That's a crucial area. So we have to recognize these are principles or precepts from God's word. They work. Not always can we get a resolve with some things, with some people. That's why Paul instructed the Romans and said in Romans 12, be at peace with all men as much as it is up to you. So our attitude should be that of resolve and working through and speaking truth and love. <clears throat> Any questions so far about that? All right, we're going to stop for now and uh, we'll pick up on this a little bit. I want to uh, try to help understand biblically how this affects not only married relationships, but all relationships. And then we're going to um, address uh, adults with children and look at the youth. I want to address some things about what a youth or a child is, their responsibilities to their parents, as well as a parent's responsibility to their children and for their children. But we'll deal a little bit more with this area of communication. Communication is essential. And uh, I recognize that sometimes we are not able to carry out the mandates of Scripture and we fail to do so, but that's not an excuse. We all have the ability to humble ourselves before the Lord confess our sins so that he can not only forgive our sins, but to cleanse our sins. Then we have the ability also by God's grace to go to the individual that we may have offended or didn't communicate clearly with and be able to work towards a resolve. Our whole desire should be to build up the other individual. For husband and wife, husband to be the provider, protector, Sensitive uh, to understand and live with his wife in an understanding manner. The wife to be able to love her husband, to submit to her husband, to his godly leadership. When he fails to do so, she has every right to communicate that to him in love. And, you know, by a quiet and submissive spirit, that is a powerful thing. That's what God uses, First Peter. Chapter 3, 
It's the essence of knowing that God's design is perfect. When we step out of that, things break down. But as we realize and appropriate God's grace to apply his word to every relationship, you can have harmony. And that's part of the result of good communication. Thomas. 100% of the time, when you apply God's word, you will have harmony. The challenge oftentimes comes when one of the individuals is not applying the principles of God's word. Or they have, there's several things that open their mind. That's true. You're going to get hammered sometimes. <clears throat> yeah. because got, the other individual's attitude is just going to rip you to shreds. Mm-hmm. And I'm not suggesting that you're, you you then have to have a different attitude. But we also have to be, there's a lot of strength within us that have to be prepared for sin. Right. Okay, what Thomas is saying doesn't, uh, if, if, a person isn't willing to resolve a conflict. You know, sometimes a soft answer doesn't turn away their wrath. But it doesn't uh, stop us or alleviate the responsibility we have as Christians to apply these truths to our to our lives and to for the relationship. So, yes, there'll be sometimes, and that's why Paul said, as much as it is up to you, be at peace with all men. There are some conflicts that uh, one individual out of that may not be willing to work through. And, you know, there's principles of discipline. There's principles of applying uh, an approach to resolve a conflict. And as long as we are willing to do so and our hearts are right, the responsibility for that is... Really, that's as far as we can take it. So, yes, there are some <clears throat> situations, and I would dare say if it's in a marriage, that there are definite steps that that can be taken to broaden the influence on that relationship, and that is with Matthew 18 in the area of bringing the church into it. Um, <clears throat> that's an extreme situation, but that, is a necessity, but it's given to us for the purpose of what? To slander? To tear down? No, for the purpose of restoration. When an individual is in sin, the whole goal is to restore that individual to the right relationship with God. And we do so by applying the truths from God's word. Thomas. Uh, in that spirit, at what, how do you know when to break fellowship? When... You know, there are some people who say, well, I'm going to I'm gonna do this until the very end. The very end seems to go on forever. 
And they're, <clears throat> they never take that last step and they never say, okay, look, it's time to break fellowship. We need to just be apart and I will continue to pray for you. You continue to pray for me, et cetera, et cetera. We're both Christians. We both have biblical principles, but one of us is really wrong. Okay. Well, and there's all different kinds of scenarios that we could raise, but the essence of uh, the truth of breaking fellowship, we never stop loving an individual. We're commanded to do so. We never stop forgiving. We're also commanded to do that. So the essence of breaking fellowship, um, or as Paul would outline in 1 Corinthians 5, you know, not to eat with such a one, is when a professing brother or sister who has violated God's word and refuses to turn to God, then there's a process by which the very uh, pulling away from is for the purpose of drawing that per- person back to the Lord. So that would be dictated by the individual circumstance. And obviously, if they're in sin, unwilling to reconcile, then that, that extreme process of pulling away would have to take place. Now, there's a caveat here. We have to recognize that to do so, you're not doing so because of your hatred of the individual. You may hate the sin, but you never stop trying to uh, bring about resolve in their life. And you never stop trying to bring about um, restitution. So our goal, anytime there's that step of discipline, would be to restore the individual's relationship with the Lord and to do so in love. So if we ever pull away and you have this combative attitude, then we don't have the right attitude. We've misunderstood Scripture. And if we ever say anything in a slanderous way, that's sin. So we don't attack the individual that's wounded and in sin, we do everything we can to restore that individual. So let's close. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word that you have given us in order that we might exercise this to your glory. We recognize, Father, that we live in a fallen world and we we have a sinful flesh. At the same time, we recognize the power that we have in Christ that sin no longer can dominate us. So we're no longer in bondage to sin, and I just praise you and thank you for the finished work of your son. I just ask now a blessing on our time and fellowship and praise and offering and the receiving of your word through teaching that you would glorify yourself. We just pray this to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.